0: Me. So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door now. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him.
1: We'll stand with you
0: Buenos dias, que tal Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's great to be back with you again this week. This week we're going to be talking about baptism and the people crusher, Nicodemus coming in the middle of the night. I was inspired by the gospel for this past Sunday, and it was the baptiz- baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ in St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter three. We're going to cover that first. Because there's a couple of points out of that that I want to make, and then we'll move right into John chapter 3 and the encounter between the people crusher and Jesus Christ. That intro song is American Anthem for Life by Brian Flynn. And as always, you can find a link to his site, plus the show notes for this episode at my site, www.catholichack.com. Let us begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, all praise and glory and honor be to you almighty god once again we come to sit at your feet to study your word we pray that we can dive deep to be inspired by the gift of your revelation we pray that the holy spirit will enlighten us guide us on this journey as we seek to follow our lord jesus christ into his death in the deep waters of baptism and to be come out in resurrection and newness of life to enter into the promised land the kingdom of god and so we pray, Father in heaven, when the Spirit came down upon Jesus at his baptism in the, in the River Jordan, you revealed him as your own beloved Son. Keep me, your child, born of water and the Spirit, faithful to my calling. May I, who share in your life as your child through baptism, follow in Christ's path of sacrifice for the people. Let me become one in his sacrifice, and hear his word with faith. May I live as your child, following the example of Jesus. We pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, the gospel for this past Sunday was from St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair, and a leather girdle around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem, and all Judea, and all the region about the Jordan. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and alighting on him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Unquote. Now I skipped, a, a passed over a few verses in the midst of that because uh, with, with time constraints and all, we have to really move along. We've got a full slate of uh, of stuff that I want to get into today on the show. And as always, I, I tend to never get through everything I want to. So I'm going to try to move along fairly quickly here. Now, there's a few points I wanted to make about this, uh, this passage from St. Matthew's Gospel on the baptism of our Lord. Um, just the mere fact that John is clearly evoked as this prophet Elijah who was supposed to come back to make way for this coming Messiah. So in the hearts, the minds, and the living experience of the people of God, the Jews and the Israelites, they were expecting this prophet to come. They were expecting Elijah to return, to make straight the paths. And so John in all four gospels is clearly linked with the prophet Elijah, the returning prophet Elijah. It's not that John himself is the uh, the prophet himself. No, but he comes in the spirit of the prophet. The very fact that he says that he's preaching in the wilderness is a, is a clear link to Isaiah chapter 40 verse three. The fact that John wears a garment of camel's hair is a link to First Kings chapter one verse eight. The fact that the people were expecting him to return, we can see this, for instance in Malachi chapter 4 four, verse five, quote, "Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. You can also see that in Sirach uh, chapter 48, verse 10. So the people were expecting this prophet to return, and they find him in this John, who is out there, this Levite is out in the wilderness wearing a garment of camel's hair, eating wild honey and locusts and and baptizing for the repentance of sins in the Jordan. All extremely significant. You know, it's nothing new. It's not like baptism was a brand new thing. In fact, the people were expecting that with the coming of the Lord, the coming of the kingdom of God, the coming of the Messiah, the prophet whom Moses spoke of, who he said that one greater than I will come, that with that will come the pouring out of God's holy spirit through the through the form of water, okay? For instance, we see this in Isaiah chapter 32 verse 15, or Ezekiel 39:29, or Joel 2 verses 28 through 29, the pouring out of God's holy Spirit on the people. Again, we see it with the uh, associated with pouring out of water, cleansing my people with water. We see that for instance in Isaiah chapter 44 verse 3, quote, "For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground, I will pour my spirit upon your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. Unquote. We also see this in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. You know, the entering into the baptismal waters was a way for us to, uh, to mystically enter into the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we pass through that water, we enter into the kingdom of God. We enter into the new promised land. All of these images aren't new. No, in fact, they're very old. We actually see all of this being played out in a prototype in the book of Joshua, or Yahshua, as they would pronounce his name. If we read Joshua chapter 3, you're going to see something clearly amazing. It says in uh, Joshua chapter 3 that on the third day... That Joshua rose early. And God said that on that day, God would begin to exalt Joshua, in front of all the people of Israel. That he commanded him to go and cross the Jordan and to go into the promised land to inherit the kingdom, right? But it's a beautiful thing because Joshua takes and he picks from among the men, from among the people, 12 men to proceed in front of all the people. So first you have the ark being carried by priests, and then you have these Joshua and the 12 men all leading the people into the promised land. But what's more amazing is that when they get to the River Jordan, when the priests dip their toe into the water, just dip it, the water pulls up on either side and creates a dry land that they might cross through the, the river into the promised land. Just like Moses leading the people through the sea, uh, the Red Sea there on dry land, causing the water to form on both sides, creating dry land, you know, from the water comes land. Where have we seen this image before? It's a new creation. It harkens back to Genesis chapter one, where the spirit of God hovered over the waters and the waters receded and coming out of the water is dry land. Okay, So we, this, we've seen this creation motif before, and here we are seeing it again, not only with Moses, but now with Joshua, but more strongly with Joshua than with Moses, because Joshua is a prototype of Jesus Christ. Jesus' own name is Yahshua, which, as we said last week, means he saves. He is the Son of Man, the Son of God, the new Son of David, the new Solomon, the new Emmanuel, the one who would rule for all eternity. And here he is being portrayed as a new Joshua crossing through the waters of the Jordan. As we enter into these waters, we are cleansed of our sins and we come out Entering into that new promised land, the kingdom of God. But unless you enter through these waters, you can't enter into the promised land. That was what was powerful. Now, in Joshua chapter 3, the the priests actually stayed there in the river, uh, keeping it dry until all the people passed through. It's a beautiful image wrapping up the priests and the the 12 men who are priests, by the way, um, Exodus chapter 24, and and Joshua leading them with the Ark of the Covenant. We see all of these types in the Old Testament come to their New Testament fulfillment and perfection in our Lord Jesus Christ, in Mary our mother, the Ark of the New Covenant, in the 12 apostles, the new 12 priests, the ministerial priesthood, with St. Peter being the new Segen Hakohanim the new second high priest the new vicar of christ the new prime minister in the kingdom of god through baptism we enter into this kingdom i mean it's powerful and beautiful and we see that as i said before the creation motif coming alive like genesis 1 the spirit hovers over our lord in the waters of creation here in matthew chapter 3 And from the deep comes life. From the deep, uh, uh, the depth of water, which represents the tomb, the death, coming out in resurrection brings life. And so now does the Spirit of God hover over these waters of a new creation, over a new Adam, over the Son of God, whom he is well-pleased. God, through a voice from heaven, is exalting the new Joshua in front of all the people here. So it's a fulfillment of all of these things coming to their perfection in our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the new Joshua crossing the Jordan on the third day, entering into the kingdom of heaven, the real promised land. Also choosing 12 men from among the people. Also being led by priests and the ark, our lady. So... I highly encourage you to dive deep in Matthew chapter 3 and Joshua chapter 3 and really see for yourself how this is a beautiful fulfillment of all these Old Testament prototypes. And to a first century Jew, witnessing all of this, but more importantly, being able to discover all of this as it's being portrayed in divine revelation this sends up huge red flags. Fireworks are going off all over the place because they can see all of these links. 21st century Westerners, we, we tend to lose. We don't tend to pick up on any of this. So we need to dive deep into the text and see this through new eyes so that we can get to um, the meteor stuff. You know what I mean? We, we tend to hang out at the surface on scripture, but there's so much more down below. It's like an iceberg and we're sitting on the tip. We need to go diving to get all of it. But now I want to skip to John chapter 3 and this this famous scene of this Pharisee coming by night to speak to our Lord. John chapter 3, starting in verse 1, quote, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born anew. The wind blows where it wills, and you hear the sound of it. But you do not know whence it comes or whither it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can this be? And Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel? And you do not understand this. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Now, again, there's so much more to John chapter 3 than that, but I want to make a few points. The very name Nicodemus literally means the people crusher. Nikio Damus, it literally breaks down into its parts to mean the people crusher. This is a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, a people crusher. Uh, This brings us uh, to start thinking about Matthew chapter 23, where our Lord said, quote, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses's seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but do not but not what they do, for they preach, but do not practice. They bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by men. Unquote. That's a very um bold, very cut right to the chase, mince no words kind of a statement from our Lord. The Pharisees have the authority. They sit on Moses' cathedros, on his seat, which is where we get the whole concept of the seat, the chair of Peter. Okay, this is authority given by God to rule the kingdom, to rule the people. The Pharisees possess this. They possess the authority. Jesus acknowledges that. Do whatever they command. Do whatever they, uh, they tell you but don't do as they do because they fail to practice what they preach. They lay heavy burdens on the people. They are people crushers. And so here comes Nicodemus at night, a people crusher, a Pharisee, somewhat believing in what he's seeing, hoping and trusting that this is the the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christos, the the son of God, the prophet, who would come and and reestablish the kingdom of the people of God. The church, the Kohal, the new ecclesia, But he comes at night. Why? For fear of the ruling class, the Pharisees, his own people, the people whom he serves with. He fears their judgment. And so he has to sneak around at night. Question. Are we Christians who, who come at night to our Lord? Or do we live our life as Christians who are proud to come in the day? We fear not what people might say. You know, we live in a time where Catholic churches are being bombed and people are dying for their faith. Here in the United States, we can't experience this in the same way as those Christians, you know, who are worshiping in places like Egypt and Iraq and, and Turkey and, and so many other places like Indonesia, even. Dying for their faith. And they're not the only countries. There are many, many more. Most of these Catholics, most of these Christians serve by day, despite the risk to their life. But are we, ask yourself the question, are we a Nicodemus? Do we come by night to our Lord? Do we, or do we proudly proclaim our faith and live it amongst all people in the light of Christ? Nicodemus lacks understanding, which is why he's shown here at night. You know, he was completely familiar with all the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit with water, the cleansing of of the person, the repentance of their sins. He would have known all of that like the back of his hand. And yet still, he didn't seem to get what our Lord was talking about. Now, John's gospel is brilliant literature. Okay, because John tends to use a lot of double entendres, words with multiple meanings. And in this passage, there are two double entendres that are very significant. The first one, he talks about being born anew or being born again. The Greek word here is anothen. Jesus says very clearly, he says, uh, quote, let me back it up here. Quote, uh, uh, John chapter three, verse three, quote, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born othen, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, okay, he took the word the wrong way. He thought Jesus meant born again. So he says in verse four, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born othen when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? But Jesus clarifies by giving him the true meaning. Uh, verse five, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So Jesus here is talking about being born anew, being born from above. The anuthin here is born from above. He also uses another double entendre a few verses later with talking about the um, the spirit he uses the word panuma, the Greek word panuma, which means um, uh, either wind or spirit. He says in verse 8, quote, The wind blows where it wills. So the, the panuma blows where it wills, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know whence it comes or whither it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the panuma. In the very sentence, the very verse, he uses both meanings. The wind, the first time, the last time, spirit. He's clarifying to a quote from the St. Ignatius Catholic Study Bible on this verse. It says, quote, "...by capitalizing on the double meaning of this expression, Jesus reasons that if the direction and destiny of the wind is mysterious, then the mission of the Holy Spirit is even more so in the lives of the believers." Okay, so he uses these double entendres, which seem to confuse Nicodemus, but they're great opportunities to clarify exactly what he means. Again, do you see the, the, the motif of Genesis 1, the new creation going on here? The use of water, the spirit, the spirit hovering over the waters of creation and bringing about new life. Do you see all that? Okay. If, it's, if you're confused at all about the context of what's going on, and there are so many critics who say to you that clearly this is not referencing baptism. It's being born again. Are you a born-again Christian? Listen, the, ba- the context being used here is baptism. How can you be sure? Well, let's back up. Let's look at John 1, verse 33. In John 1 the Spirit descends from on high to rest on Jesus while he's being baptized in water in the Jordan. Okay, that's John 1. How about John 2? John 2, uh, verse 6, there in the wedding feast at Cana. What do we see in the very first of Jesus' signs in the book of signs, in the Gospel of John? There are six stone water jars there. And Our Lady says to the servants, Do whatever He tells you. And so our Lord commands them to to take a cup from these six stone water jars and take it to the head chief steward. Turns out He turns water into wine. Later on in the Gospel, we see how He turns wine into His very blood. And He pours that blood out on the cross in both water and blood, prefiguring or... Bringing to life the church rather, the Eucharist and baptism. So, John 6 even tells us that those six tone water jars were jars for purification. These were baptizmoi, okay? So, it's clearly a baptism reference there in John 2 6. How about John chapter 3, verse 5? Born again, born anew, born onothen from above with water And spirit, the very same elements we saw in John 1:33, is right here in John 3:5. Water and spirit. Clearly, the context is baptism. But just in case you still don't believe, how about we stay in John chapter three? Let's go to the last verse, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the land of Judea. There he remained with them and baptized. This episode with the people crusher coming at night, you know, doubting, wanting to believe, but not having the courage to do so publicly. Here, Jesus is instructing him about the necessity to be baptized. This is a sacrament that Jesus institutes, that unless you are born from above, Of water and spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom. Like Joshua who had to cross the waters of the Jordan to enter into the promised land, the kingdom of the people, they had to inherit that land to possess it, so too do we in the new Israel, the new ecclesia, do we have to go through the waters of baptism, going into the depth of his death on the cross, and coming out in the resurrection of new life, and going into the kingdom of God. That is how we enter the land, and we can take possession of it. But, just in case, you're still sort of not so sure. Let's fast forward now to 1 Peter chapter 3 starting in verse 18 quote for christ also died for sins once for all the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to god being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit in which he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly did not obey when god's patience waited in the days of noah during the building of the ark in which a few that is eight persons were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a clear conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers subject to Him. Unquote. Did you catch that? Baptism, which corresponds to this, now Saves you. The power of baptism. Truly an encounter with Christ himself. A grace, an indelible mark placed on your soul. When you are baptized at the end of St. Matthew's Gospel, what does our Lord command his 12 priests, his 12 ministers, to go and do? To go out to all the world to Baptized, to make disciples, to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is a powerful concept, but I want you to see how our Lord brings about this new creation, how He leads the people of God, that's you and me, through these waters. He leads, He leads the way. He doesn't say, go and I'll be right behind you. No, he leads the way to the promised land. We must follow our Lord. So what does that mean we're going? It means we're going to the cross. We must unite our sufferings to Christ on the cross so that we can suffer with him, so that we can be raised with him, so that we can live in the newness of life. For it is not I, but it is Christ who lives within me. Well, until next time, may God richly bless you. God bless. From the Catholic Underground.